Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom-built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. WebmasterRadio.fm presents CEO Coach. From funding to finance, set up the staffing. Our CEO coaches break down the art of business development from the ground up. Now here to get you started are the experts of online business startup, management, and development. The founders of Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy. Welcome to a special holiday edition of CEO Coach. This is Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, wishing all of our listeners a very happy new year. Today we have excerpts from a couple of very popular episodes from 2017, Funding Options for Early Stage Founders and Funding Mid-Sized Companies. That's right. I often counsel startups at Venture Capital uh, that venture capital is the most expensive money they will ever get and to consider other options first, you know, such as convertible debt. Let's listen. So REITs or R-E-I-T, those are real estate investment funds. What's usually done is a group of properties are put together into a single loan fund or it could be an individual property that is a fund by itself. A lender will gather the funds from individuals, high net worth individuals, or from uh, organization structures, uh, even retirement funds and so on, in order to fund such a loan. These are commercial property loans. It could be, for example, a uh, building that wants to renovate, uh, um, I don't know, wants to become a branded hotel or something, and certain renovations are required in order to do so. It could be raw land and you're going to build a building on it, whatever the heck it is, right? So there are thousands of different types, but the loan is funded with people who are investors. They get back a certain amount of interest on the loan and then they get their principal at the end pretty easy stuff. Generally, it's decent interest, somewhere between, I don't know, as little as 6 or 7%, as much as 12 or even 15 or 19%, I've heard recently. Okay, it depends on the risk of the loan, the assets, and so on. Now, object of the game is that one can do that as an early stage startup company as well. There are some companies who need to fund things, and then they need operating capital. The operating capital, they're going to have to raise regular venture capital for it, right? Angel investments in the traditional manner. But the other stuff, well, they could use such an idea that comes from the real estate world. For example, because I know that was about as clear as mud, right? For example, there's a company called Bridge Care Capital, and they're raising capital for their startup to fund early childhood care, in other words, infant and toddler care, preschool, right? Parents pay these uh, fees of, I don't know, 1500 2000 a month. There are several children. It could be 3000 a month or more. This generally is an impetus to keep women away from the workplace while their children are young, right? It isn't worth their while to go to work 
and to pay those very high rates. Now, there's kind of a social venture involved here, right? If you want to help to keep women in the workforce uh, who wish to do so, um, those who have degrees or advanced degrees and so on, it can cost them up to a million and a half dollars over the course of their lifetime to take that break uh, after childcare, right? as early as you know, child could uh, stay. That means they leave the workforce, and when they come back, they have not kept up with the most current skill sets and the most current information. They've not continued their networks and built them up over time, but now must come back in again, if you will, at a lower stage for their age bracket to reestablish new relationships. Their peers have moved on, but they have not. All of this takes a hit on the advances of the person re-entering the workforce. So... There's an idea here that says, well, these are the loans that are going to be made. It will stretch out the payments over time. So instead of saying, I don't know, 1500 bucks a month, you'll pay 1000 bucks a month, and then you'll pay it for some years thereafter, plus the interest and so on, uh, and then it's done. You could put it on a credit card, but it would be very expensive. One could, I don't know, refinance the house, but young families have, you know, new houses. They, they haven't been there very long, so they generally don't have that capacity. So this is a purpose loan. Sounds pretty good. I told the CEO or the founding team, right, rather than raise venture capital for the entire amount required to start funding these loans, take the loan, say the first 10 or 20 or 100, whatever they want, stick them into a fund itself and fund that. Go out to individuals who would like to help women stay in the workforce should they want to and help to fund these loans, right? It's a little bit of an impact investment. They get back, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 percent, whatever they want to pay, right? And away they go. Now, over time, this company will have institutional funding for these loans. They'll be paying much less for institutions to lend those money, that money, maybe 4 or 5 or 6 percent, depending on where inflation is at the time. Right? But they won't need these early stage investors anymore. In this case, it makes all kinds of sense. One, it's easy to raise capital for something that's going to pay you back, say, an average of 10%. Right? And it does it right away. As soon as the funds are deployed, 30 days later, payments start getting made, you start making your 10%. That's nice until the whole thing is done. Right? So that's not really an early stage investment. It's more of a debt instrument. It, it's comfortable. It's, uh, it, it gives you a broader audience who might want to play in the game. And you're writing it, if you will, as an investor from kind of a different checkbook, if you will. This is the money I'm investing for today. That's the money that's high risk for early stage companies. I won't see it for a decade or more. You know, it's different stuff. So that's good. Number two, the company keeps a nice clean cap table. They don't have to raise all that money based on today's valuation, which is more of an idea and maybe one or two loans are out and, you know, that sort of thing. They can wait until they're much further along to raise a significant amount of capital to go out for that tremendous marketing push that they're going to need. But in the meantime, they can just start somewhere and they can prove the value to these um, lenders who are the commercial lenders, right, who will come in later at a lower valuation. Generally, a commercial lender will say something like, well, prove it to us. You get, uh, you know, a buck or two from, you know, somebody individual. Well, we'll match it or we'll double it or whatever it is. Over time, they can prove their point. 
It keeps the cap table low and clean. You give away much less of your company. The investors get returns immediately. So this is an interesting piece for investors. We can talk more about that. And you can uh, get raise your capital at a much higher valuation later for things like marketing purposes. That's when you use this kind of REIT-style investment fund. So in, we have just uh, less than a minute before we have to go to break. But what kind of company, you talked about bridge care, uh, uh, what other kinds of companies do a good method for? Well, I know another one called Dwell, and they're disrupting the mortgage industry. Again, they're going to be providing mortgages, a very good place to take all the mortgages, stick them into some kind of 20, 50 of them, however many they want, and fund that. They don't need to uh, kind of raise capital for anything other than their operating and marketing capital in order to do that. So any company that has something where they're going to be pushing money out to do these kinds of things, funding loans of any kind, that's brilliant. So lots of stuff in the fintech space, possibly even in the insurance space. I know there's something called, uh, let's see, Lemonade. And then there's another one that's an insurance company that's disrupting the auto insurance industry. So those kinds of companies may have use for this kind of thing. Anywhere where you can separate it uh, for operating and marketing, you must raise standard money for that. But the other stuff, when you're kind of deploying capital to make more capital, consider this type of fund. Retail and service companies have things that are a kind of a revenue share deal. Uh, let's see. Um, what's the, the, the capital company that's doing quite well? It's more of a factoring idea. If you make 10000 bucks a month or 100000 bucks a month, you can factor that income. In other words, they will front you that money, and when it comes in, you pay it back to them with some interest. Factoring can be quite expensive, sometimes as much as 20 or 30%. Sometimes it's much more reasonable. Uh, but there are uh, funding companies, you know, they're, they're kind of considering themselves as like venture capital, uh, but they really say venture capital alternatives. They're making a lot of money in the new space here. But that assumes that you are already bringing in money. What I'm talking about, again, is that early stage angel investment in your company, but rather than being paid back when you sell your company, and you're going to sell your company, right? And you want to go from angel to VC and then you're out of here, right? right? Now, let's assume you don't want to. Let's assume you want to be a lifestyle company. In other words, you want to retain your company and continue to run it. If you want to do that, revenue share makes all the sense in the world. It says... Fund me for, say, half a million bucks or uh, even just 100000 or maybe it's a million bucks, whatever it is, right? A bunch of people will do that. And when your company achieves a certain amount of gross revenue per annum, you set that bar, you start to pay them back. You pay them back, say, twice their investment or three times or even four times their investment. But they're not really on your cap table, they haven't said, gee, I won't get my money out until you sell. And when I do, I'm going to be on the total upside of whatever the heck it is you're going to sell. In this case, again, you have more of a debt instrument. You say, all right, you're going to write me 100000 bucks, And if I pay you back within 24 months, I'm going to give you twice your money back. It's a pretty good return on investment. If I pay you back in, say, three years, I'll pay you three times. And four years, I'll pay you four times, right? And if that doesn't work or we've all decided that this company is going to be bigger than it was going to be, right, then I won't pay you back. We're going to convert it into standard equity. 
and up we go. Everybody takes off because I don't want to pay you back at that point. I want every dollar I've got to keep my marketing engine going or sales engine or whatever. And then I'm going to hit an exit and everybody's going to be happy. Right. It gives some flexibility to the founders, the investors. They can continue a dialogue over time. Right. If the founder can pay back the investment at 2x, they decide to do so, you're done. 3x, fine. 4x, fine. Whatever numbers you want to put in place, whatever time frames you want to put in place, and however you want to convert that money to equity, should it not occur. Now, if it doesn't occur because the company's not flying and doing well, that's kind of hard and you're not going to get much out of it, and that's the way it is. But if the company is taking off like crazy and everybody agrees off we go uh, maybe you'll get that billion dollar exit and you'll do better than your two three or four times exit on the flip side if you're getting back twice or three or four times or whatever in an early stage return which is again just a few years as opposed to waiting for today's standard like 11 to 16 years before people get an exit and that's a pretty long average uh, to make your money deployed in a single space um, it really works for early stage where you expect the company is going to make some decent gross revenue in a reasonably short period of time. It reduces risk. Time is a risk factor. The longer a particular piece of capital is deployed, the more risk there is. There's more chance of stuff going sour. Right? A big uh, competitor can come along. Uh, the world changes dramatically and whatever you offer is no longer required. Something new in terms of process or product has come along. All kinds of things can happen. So this is an attractive way to make early stage investments, get your capital back early, and then redeploy it if that's what you'd like to do. So I have my evil, fearful twin Anne sitting on my shoulders saying, but, but, but what happens if the revenues do not um, develop as anticipated? Correct. So high risk, therefore there must be a high promise of return. So again, mm-hmm. doubling your money in two years, it's reasonable. Maybe you want to make it even less. I don't know. Right? Maybe more. Maybe you say you start at 3x or 4x. Again, between the two parties, you're going to sort out what promise of return is sufficient to make me take the risk. So what happens if it doesn't work out? If it doesn't work out because you know things aren't going well, as I noted, um, you can renegotiate. You can either push it off and say, I'll pay you even more because I do see I'm about to turn the corner. And if you can so convince your investors, well, fine, they'll hang in there. Or you can convert it at a particular time to equity. And again, it's not going to be worth much if the company can't make those payments. That's not a good sign, right? But you've got the stock. There it is. I guess you can write off that investment. Or you could say the company's really doing extremely well. But the CEO doesn't want to pay you back this money. Let's say he's raised a million bucks and he could pay back that 3x. And now he's got to deplete his company of 3 million bucks, even over the space of a year or two years or whatever that payment schedule is. Right. Let's say he's got to do that, but he doesn't want to do that because that means he's got to go out and raise more capital in order to push through to the end. So maybe the guy will say to you, all right, uh, we're doing extremely well. If you guys want to hang in there, we'll convert you to equity. I don't have to go out and raise capital. I'm going to use this three million bucks, which we do have. It's rolling in, right? And we're going to push for the stars now. In which case, if you're convinced, you say, fine, I'm going to get five, six, seven percent or seven X out or maybe 10 X or 100 X, depending on how quickly and how well the company's doing. Both opportunities are available. 
if things are not going well, well, you've got some choices. You can renegotiate things, whatever can be done, or, yeah, didn't work out. And yeah. Right. And if it's doing very well, you may still want to hang in there, and you may still want to discuss that with the governing teams. So wouldn't a uh, such an agreement require a great deal of uh, transparency, coordination, and most of all, trust, if you're talking about a rev share? Well, yes, uh, kind of yes and no. You require that for any kind of investment. You, as you invest in a company, you require annual reports. What is the P&L? What, uh, you know, what is this gross revenue looking like? Where are things being deployed? What are the next plans for the future? Those kinds of reports come out of a, an annual board meeting, and then uh, the investors get to know what's going on. So, you know, presumably you're getting that anyway. If you're not, then you have a serious problem and you should be demanding that of your invested company. Certainly all venture capitalists do. I know that angels don't always, but they should. Good stuff. We have to take a break for our sponsors and then we will be back with excerpts from another episode, this time on funding mid-sized companies and the economic impact of big business. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. WebmasterRadio.fm is the destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Engage with our panel of on-air experts and peers by following us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on air or on demand from our website or through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Interact and stay informed. Just search for WebmasterRadio.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome back to CEO Coach. As a holiday treat, we are revisiting popular shows from last year. Let's listen now to some of funding mid-sized companies. In this episode, we talk about why mid-sized companies are critical to our economy and why not every company needs to become a unicorn. Do you know... Companies with fewer than 500 employees, which the SBA defines as a small business, make up 99.7% of U.S. businesses, Jillian? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, 
when you think about it, 500 employees is pretty significant. So one would hardly call them small if you're just walking around, you know, but it is what the definition is. And yes, there are only a few companies that have really tremendous number of employees, things like 80,000, hundreds of thousands and so on. So yeah, this is a significant portion of what we're talking about. And I think it's uh, valuable to listen. Jillian, you talked about the many companies being formed that aren't suited for VC funding and what to do to encourage their growth and the resulting stability in, of society, which is, you know, no small mission, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's just run through a few stats because numbers, I think, can tell a great story. If we define mid-sized companies as having fewer than 500 employees, which actually is what the uh, Small Business Administration um, defines as small business. Nevertheless, if it's uh, we put the mid-sized companies in that spot, they make up 99.7% of all U.S. businesses. 99.7%. That's almost all. And they employ 56.8 million people which is nearly half of the private workforce. This is all from uh, 2016 numbers from the SBA's advocacy report. And that year they provided a net 1.1 million new jobs and 97% of the U.S. export trade. So this is not something to sneeze at, is it? No, and and that's what we were saying. You know, when you look at the number of companies that are unicorns, 0.03% of U.S. businesses, that kind of makes sense, right? Then that's not even necessarily unicorn. We're just saying that only 0.03% of U.S. businesses, right, one-third of 1%, a little less, have more than 500 employees, Right? So by the definition, we're just saying these are very few and far between, and we should stop just looking at funding just those companies. As we look at funding the broader number of companies within the United States, we look at things like, uh, again, dividends, interest, debt instruments, standard loans, all kinds of things that will help these companies grow and help investors to put their money to work in the U.S. and global economy. So clearly, um, these companies are worth supporting and the kind of ways of supporting them you mentioned um, are uh, really valuable, but there's more, isn't there? Absolutely. There, there's some more stats too, right? The Bureau of Labor Statistics, for example, reports that the number of self-employed people has grown to 8.75 million in 2016. So 8.75 million people define themselves as self-employed. It could be that they simply have a small consultancy or they have a home-based business, what we would call cottage industry, but significantly more have small businesses. They simply own the darn thing, right? So right. A- 85.7% of those people are over 40 years old. This idea that the young entrepreneur is somewhere between, say, 18 and 30 and is building a unicorn is specious. So let's take a look at some more. Um, the, the number of, you know, these the vast majority of these kinds of startups, um, you know, uh, come from, you know, 82% of their money comes from the founder themselves or from their family or friends, right? So they gather the capital in a very small group and they build something and then they go and work in it. In other words, they're kind of building themselves a job and that's quite different than building yourselves 
a corporate structure. Now, 70% rely on personal savings for their initial uh, funds. Right? That's quite a significant amount. It's a good start. But if you're going to build a significant size but privately held company, then at some point you have to look at outside funding too, just leveraging things. Factoring companies um, generally charge between, say, 20 and as much as 30%. Um, and they will say, well, if you're going to, uh, if you're charged somebody already and you're about to uh, receive the capital, then they will pay you your invoice due, if you will. Let's say you have $100 million in invoices out. They'll pay it to you, but they can charge you as much as 20 or 30% to do so. You're just receiving it early. It's almost like a payday loan. Pretty tough stuff. And in addition, there would be companies that would say, um, like Lighter Capital has made quite a big business in doing that kind of lending. What they say is, we will fund you if you have a running tally of a certain amount of income. So if you're doing somewhere between, say, 1 and 10 million a year and so on, there's something they can lend you on that. But it is a loan and um, you're not uh, messing up your cap table, but it's really a different way to describe things like factoring or similar types of loans. They just have a little more risk tolerance than a bank. And of course, banks can lend as well, as well as things like hard money commercial bridge lenders, and that would be in the real estate sector. You used a term that was new to me, lighter capital. Yeah, lighter capital is making quite a splash. Um, really, they are hardly anything more than a uh, you know, a, a lending company, and yet they're making quite a splash in the early stage startup sector, even in the tech field. Um, they're operating here in Seattle. I believe they're also operating down in the Valley. Not sure where else, so we'd have to look that up, and maybe we could pop that into our Facebook page, letting people know where to find them. Absolutely. That would be a, um, a great idea. So what is the next step then? I mean, we know that it, in the 2016 reports that uh, 40% of the companies the SBA was surveying were profitable, 30% were breaking even, and 30% continually lose money. And um, so that's still a reasonable success ratio um, yeah. of 70% of, of companies. Uh, so what? how do we... How do we work? What do work we do? Like, about? <laughs> what do we do? How do we work like lighter capital? Is that the way to go? Is that the new um, shining light on the road of how this is all going to work? Um, are there other ways? You know, I think lighter capital is one piece of the puzzle, and I'm just excited that the big splash in the uh, in the sector, if you will, the tech sector and so on, and the early stage startup world, because it shows people that other options are out there. Um, so the, the biggest lesson here or the biggest takeaway is look at broader options than just the standard angel investment that goes to VC and so on. So here are some of the things. We look at it today from the investor side, shall we? Um, investors are having problems with the time. Frame. We've talked about that before. The 11 to 16 year average is just too long. They want to get their money in and out sooner and they want to deploy it again and again. They don't actually desire, uh, you know, only or exclusively these 100x exits and so on. Of course, it's nice, but they would be happy enough even with a 2, 3, or 4x exit and certainly with a 10x exit if they are paid back in a reasonable period of time for the risk of the asset class. So 
Um, there are benefits to the investors if you look at funding two distinct types of company, the privately held, which is often called lifestyle, but it has this tiny connotation, the privately held but significant size company. So it must scale to some point, right? And the scalable potential unicorn. So really, it's about the potential unicorn versus the privately held. Both will scale to a significant size. Now, if we look at both of those things and you say, all right, what about those unicorns where we think, hey, this company has a shot at this, you know, possible huge exit. Um, they're going to need more funding than we need, uh, than we can give them as angels, right? So they're going to come in for angel funding. They're certainly going in for a series A at a venture capital firm. They're going to go to a series B and possibly even a series C before they have reached their full scalability. Whether they sell or not is another question. If that's the case, as an angel investor, you need to know who's going to fund next. It's amazing to me that people put their money down at point A, never knowing who's going to fill it in point B. So the first thing we're doing at our fund is saying we're going to make a hard channel to the next venture funder. That would be kind of the micro uh, venture capitalists, the, the guys who write the one to five million dollar checks, maybe syndicate to 10 or 15 million and so on, and right around there. Okay, the next Series A investor. And we're going to say to those guys, hey, there are some companies that you're going to see that you really like and you're going to want to work with them, but they're not ready for you yet. They're too small. Send them back to us. And we will say, what exactly do you want this company to accomplish in how much time? And if our angel group has the mentor capital, which you and I have worked on for years, Anne, right, mentoring deeply in exchange for equity, really leaning in to make sure that company is successful. Number two, the hard cash capital, right? In other words, sufficient numbers of people willing to invest to make this company get where it's going because that $25 solution is no good. You dribble in the money and it's enough to keep the lights on, but never to move forward. And then finally, you say, do we have access to the introductions required for these guys to get to their key employees, their first revenue, uh, you know, first customers and so on? If we do and we can accomplish whatever goal those VCs want to see, in the period of time that they need to see it, we will fund it. And that is how you create a hard channel between yourselves and the next investor. And you don't just do it with one VC, you do it with about a half a dozen. Because two will have invested in the same sector and are no longer interested. And one or two have, I don't know, closed their funds and it's just not good timing. And finally, a couple more will get it done and they'll syndicate with somebody else and they'll get the whole thing put together and the company will become successful. If you don't know where the next money is coming from and you're not in constant contact with them as though they were already investors, look, we have a achieved X and now Y and now Z, then I think we should not put money down. So we're looking at better ways to get money in. And I think after the break, we should talk about better ways to get them out. We need to take a break for our sponsors. Uh, we'll be back with more on funding mid-sized companies after the break. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Catholic Charities is committed to providing life's basic needs. We thank you for bringing us all here today, letting these people understand how Catholic Charities runs and how important these people are. And we ask you to guide them, to protect them, and keep them here forever because this community needs them. Visit www.catholiccharitiesusa.org to learn more. Hello, I'm Hector Elizondo, and I want to talk to you about getting older. My body hurts, my joints ache, and sometimes I forget. 
I forget that doing all your own scenes for a movie isn't always the best decision, especially when you're galloping high speed on a horse named Archibello. So yes, my body hurts, but it's not because of my age. It's because I'm living my life. Don't let life pass you by. Take care of your brain health. It may just help you stay on top of your game. Oh, Archibello! Learn more at brainhealth.gov. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome back to the special holiday edition of the Best of CEO Coach. Today we are looking at alternatives to traditional venture capital funding for mid-sized companies. And now let's listen to how to exit those investments. We've talked about getting the money in for those companies that are moving on to Series A and so on. There are still interesting ways to do that. And you can still fund a scalable corporation by saying, hey, I don't want to take it all the way to the exit. I know they might make it, but it's going to take too long for me. And you can still do things that are kind of debt hybrids where you say, again, at rev share, you know, at certain point, we're going to take it back out. Or you can make deals in advance with the VCs and say, when it comes time, you'll cash some of our money out and you will fund the rest of it. VCs don't usually like to do that, but if warned in advance, if you will, and they negotiate in advance, they may find that there's value in it and they would like to take a larger portion of this company that may become seriously a unicorn. Now, in the case of the privately held companies that don't intend to exit, you definitely want to use these kinds of debt instruments, rev share instruments, uh, the um, interest uh, if it's a standard loan or dividends if it's going to go over time. But you still have to have a market for the absolute, uh, what you call it, the, uh, the principle on this uh, capital, right? You still have to be able to pull it out in some way. There are a few companies beginning to create um, platforms to sell shares of privately held companies. And I've seen a few around for some time. They only have a few companies in them. I believe that the next stage is somebody's going to create a marketplace for a large number of privately held organizations, if you will, a stock market for the non-stock market people. I think that will be very exciting. And as soon as we see one happen, I think, and you and I should share it right here. In the meantime, uh, for those lifestyle companies, looking at the debt equity uh, split, looking at dividends and interest, and looking at ways to talk to the VCs at Series A for those who need to get there, for those companies that will need to get there in advance, will allow you to pull your money out with clear expectations at a reasonable time period. Never forget, both investors and founders, this is a highly risky asset class. Highly risky, and yet there are ways to mitigate risk um, to some extent. Uh, You talked about in our own fund that we will be um, asking the follow-on investors in 
a hard channel that we create. What do you need this company to do and be in order to be a follow-on investor? And when we are sure that the companies that we look at have that opportunity, then we can make an investment. And doesn't that ease the risk somewhat? Of Yes, yes it does. And by keeping in touch with those uh, potential next stage investors, all along the way saying, you told us that we must do these six things and we have now done five, now four, now three, now two, we're coming for you. Are you ready? It keeps those lines of communication open. It keeps the expectations ready. It makes sure somebody doesn't go give away the last of their fund. They know you're coming and it is something they are already interested in. Uh, You can also leverage the advice, counsel, introductions, and assets of the venture capital firm in advance earlier on if they know you're coming and they kind of pre-plan to invest in you as a company it makes all kinds of sense for them to make you grow more quickly to get you where you're going more quickly and get their money in and out fast so you know it isn't just money you get from a vc sometimes it's introductions to some very powerful assets that help your company thrive And that is what we're all about here at Outlines Venture Group, helping companies thrive and grow (laughs) and and prosper because it made better ways to live and work together. These are fascinating ideas, and I think they're cutting edge. And I really am looking forward to uh, some of the response from some of our listeners of, of when they hear some of these ideas and as we go forth and talk about them wherever we go. Um, Well, we're getting pretty good response from the investors. They are interested and uh, we'll see whether or not they pony up, put their money on the table for this fund. And uh, in the, you know, in the sum of it, we hope to found, uh, excuse me, to fund a broader founding group. We hope to fund broader ideas, not just the software that's going to power the next big thing but rather things like platforms, services, product, all kinds of goods and services that will help our economy and our communities to thrive. And we hope that um, the alternate funding options will help the companies and the founders themselves um, to kind of take that step to leap out of whatever work they're doing, to know that the money is there, the support is there, and that they will be able to build whatever they're dreaming of today. That's it, the holiday edition of the Best of CEO Coach. We'd like to thank our producers at Webmaster Radio for their ongoing support. You can download these shows at webmasterradio.fm forward slash shows forward slash CEO dash coach. You can also see us at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and many other places around the web. You can find links and more on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash CEO coach podcast. Stop by, hit the like button so we know you are out there. Tell us what you'd like to hear about on CEO coach. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy, and you can find out more about how we help companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive at OutlinesVenture.com. Happy New Year to all. Till next week.
The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.